Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And this podcast is brought to you by Everything's Everything's Coming Coming Up Simpsons. Simpsons. Make sure to tune in on September 11th. We are talking about the episode Radio Bart with a special guest you may recognize. Hi, I'm Nancy Cartwright. And actually, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the (gasps) hell are you? Ah! We're so excited. This This is so good. This was one of our favorite episodes you've ever done. Mark your calendars. I don't know. You're probably already downloading it. What What is this life? Uh, September 11th, we are joined by, you already heard her, Nancy Cartwright. We're so excited. Please tune in. All right. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. So uh, my name is Alvaro Rodriguez. I'm the screenwriter for The Last Rampage. As a writer, to me, I'm less interested in genre and more interested in character. And, you know, I've written in a lot of different genres, you know, um, kind of horror genre, thriller or action movie or kids movie or, you know, different kinds of things. And it was always more, I was always more interested in character and hadn't really quite done something like this before, but was just uh, really drawn to this idea of... um, of a guy like Gary Tyson, who, you know, had been in and out of institutions from the time he was, you know, a kid, um, and uh, and having sort of raised three sons from behind bars, uh, and how these three sons kind of grew up in the church of Gary, and thinking that their father had been, you know, unjustly accused and unjustly convicted and all of this stuff that they were getting fed um, from their mom, Dorothy, who's played in the film by Heather Graham. So to me, it was just, I was interested in telling that kind of a story, telling a family story. You know, to me, the most interesting stories are family-centered in some some way. You know, they're elemental stories. They're stories that um, go back to, you know, to the most intimate and elemental parts of ourselves. So the idea of fathers and sons, you know, there's a line in the script about, in the movie about that, Um, you know, where Gary tells his oldest son, you know, Donnie, there's only one law you got to worry about, and that's a law of fathers over sons. And the only way you're going to, you know, get past that is, you know, by this, you know, by dying, basically. But kind of threatens him a little bit. But um, so that was really you know, the touchstone for me, uh, trying to figure out how to tell that story. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash Last Rampage Film. Welcome to the X-Files Files, and welcome to Season 3 of the X-Files. Today we're talking about the first two episodes of Season 3, Blessing Way and Paperclip. Devin is back, as I said last time, first two-parter for the first three-parter of the X-Files. This is the season where things get really, really huge, and, you know, it's widely considered, I think, 
one of the best seasons uh, of the show, three and four. I think I considered the highlights. This has a lot of great, great episodes. Um, so hope you guys like it. Follow me at X Files Files. Oh, somebody emailed me and said that the best way to climb the rankings uh, on iTunes is not ratings, but through subscriptions. So subscribe to the show. Listen, you're listening to it anyway. So subscribe to the show. It's gonna be awesome. I'm very excited about some things coming up. Um, so after this, um, I am going to be splitting up the next two episodes into two. So it's going to be Steve Asfell um, talking about DPO. And um, I actually did one recording with Steve Asfell and it was DPO and Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. And then I'm going to split that up because... I'm going to do uh, Steve Asbell, DPO, and then a chat with Jack Black about his experiences on the show. And then the week after that, I'll release Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, again with Steve Asbell. And then a chat with Darren Morgan about Humbug, as well as Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. So I'm very excited about those, but I will be talking about one episode a week rather than two. But I think, you know... It's good. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Uh, follow me at X-Files Files. Follow me at Kumel. And um, you guys know the drill. Like the show. Hey, we're back here with Devin Farachi. Devin, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Uh, what's this shirt? Phantom of the Paradise? Phantom of the Paradise, 1973 rock opera from Brian De Palma. Uh, Paul Williams wrote the songs. Uh, Edgar Wright's favorite movie. Edgar Wright's favorite movie. It uh, stars Jessica Harper, who is... Uh, uh, one of the great actresses of the 70s genre uh, world. Uh, she eventually married Tom Rothman, who ran uh, Fox. Um, so she's doing all right. She's doing all right. Uh, Paul Williams doing all right. He uh, had a real bad right. period where he was an uh, alcoholic and uh, drug addict, and he's cleaned up. He's a big proponent of AA, and of uh, he has a book called Gratitude and Trust about uh, cleaning up, and he's also the president of ASCAP, the... Uh, the Songwriters Association. Oh, wow. So yeah, he's so doing he's really okay. doing all right. Yeah. Wow. Everyone in that shirt. Don't worry about anybody involved uh, William with William Finley, movie. who plays the Phantom, he died. He died last year. So it didn't turn out so good for him. But was, then again, that's how it ends for all of us, isn't it? Everybody dies. Everybody dies. It seems like everybody just dies. It just seems, doesn't it seem like that sometimes. Man, I feel like, I feel like everybody's going to die someday. What a know. bummer. Watch this segue. I was looking up Red Crow, uh, the guy who's... Guess who Red Co Crow plays in this these X Files episodes? Uh, it should be pretty easy. Is it Albert Holstein? Is it? A, it is Albert Holstein. I like when his real life name is a, is more. I don't know how. I don't <laughs> know what nose. adjective. It's to more use. on the nose than his. It's than his a TV little show more on the nose, but he wasn't born with what. Uh, his, I forget what his full name is, but it's something Red Crow something. He died in two thousand seven. So. These two episodes. Last time, I talked about how I didn't love a lot of the Native American sort of... Um, Mystical speak. The Yeah. And boy, they came at you they with really, They go hard <laughs> on the do. first episode. They go right into the paint with this one. Yeah, they yeah. really do. Yeah. yeah, well, let's discuss both of these together, I guess. I mean, because he gets the opening monologue, which I did like some of. I, I like the truth lives only as long as the last person who remembers it, right. which is a great quote. But also it ties in really well into how that whole thing resolves itself at the end of the second episode. It's the second of these two episodes. So I really like that. Didn't love um, the Omen stuff. The 
white calf stuff. Okay, so I kind of like that because it's part of the millennialism of the '90s where we were approaching all the year new 2000. age bullshit. Right, we're getting all new agey. We're approaching the year 2000. Everybody sort of got their mind on this stuff, and so you would get news reports of like yeah, white calf or two headed cow. Well, or... Why was it happening in the '90s? You think? What it was, was the year it? 2000? It was the millennium. Oh, we that's... were coming up on the millennium, and we sort of lost religion already. We'd so we had lost religion. Like... We had this weird thing where there was like. We had the millennium coming up. We had the idea that like this was a uh, a significant moment in history, even though nobody involved actually understood how um, counting time and calendars work. Yeah, I know uh, the two thousand two thousand one thing. I've right. had so many arguments with people. The only way, I mean, uh, the, for the computer stuff, it makes sense. Y two K two thousand makes sense. Why that's scary? But the two thousand two thousand one, like, I had so many arguments with people about it. Which is funny because two thousand one was the year where everything really did change. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> so. Wow. So that's the thing. That's the real new millennium. Okay. You can really date it from I guess you won that argument, Devin. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I was going to say something horrible, and I'm glad I didn't. Uh, So this first episode is sort of split into two parts, right? It's Mulder uh, in the Sky. It's Mulder in the Sky with the uh, constant voiceover of Albert Holstein. And, uh, yeah, talking to, like, his parade of dead people he knows. And then Scully's sort of running around and living on Earth and doing actual stuff. How did you feel about that sort of... Because I'll tell you, I didn't like the space, the sky stuff. Okay, of these two episodes, I think these two episodes are great. I think where the show ends up at the end of Paperclip is fucking awesome. And I think Paperclip is awesome beginning to end pretty much. But for this one, for me, that sky stuff, him in the coma... You know, and doing the blessing weight ritual and all of that. I don't know. How did you? What did you think about it? I think it's weird. Um, I think so weird. Part of it is there's this weird '90s limitation on visualizing the stuff. So it's like the star background and a bunch of guys in black masks standing in a circle. Um, yeah, it's sort of a, it's sort of a cheesy looking thing. Um, it's also maybe more literal than I would have expected from the Yeah, episode. it's very literal because Scully has her coma episodes the season before. And hers is she's on a boat so th- sort of tethered to land by right. this rope. And I thought that that was a very – that was a much quieter, much more subtle way of doing it. And she's not – it's not a parade of all the dead people. I think her dad talks at one point. But this one I just thought – the drama of it was a little weird for me because it's not Mulder talking. It's all the other people sort of and what's rekindling weird his... is that it feels like it's the other people. It's actually them. It doesn't feel like it's elements of Mulder's psyche necessarily. No, it, it feels, feels like, like he's it's actually them, talking to dead people. Which is what I... Because he talks to her. He comes to her in the dream too. Remember right, that? Right. Uh, yeah, don't love it. Uh, which is weird, which is sort of because in a show that I think the perfect spot for the X-Files is that place between the weird and the mystical and the scientific where the idea that this stuff maybe this stuff is true but you can always explain it scientifically this one maybe leans more mystical than necessarily I'm comfortable with and I think that, and I think more mystical than Mulder would be comfortable with yeah even Mulder would be like what the fuck yeah, is Mulder's this yeah Mulder's the guy yeah. who's usually against the religious phenomena and stuff like that yeah exactly uh, and in this one he's really just having a, a, a death discussion with the spirits, yeah, and then wakes up and is like, "Oh, I talked, I talked to the spirits." Yeah, and he goes to Scully and tells her that he's alive, and it just feels very Chris Cartery. I think Chris Carter is good at writing those kinds of flowery like dialogues. Like, there's one quote he says, "The uh, what does he call it? The dull 
Wisdom of the Dead or something like that. Yeah, I'll there's get a lot of really cool dialogue in there's that. There's great it's lines, a, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, live, to deliver a lot of that kind of dialogue you can't deliver in a regular TV show. Right. Um, which I like. And the, and, yes. And it's delivered well. Yes. Um, but it's weird. It's weird, yeah. And it's the first episode. Uh, by the way, this episode is 20 million people watch it. By contrast, the season finale of season two... Nine million people. So, so over the summer, the show really it really up. hits big, and and uh, the season premiere of season three is the highest watched uh, of the whole season, which is pretty like standard for TV shows. Uh, but they still stay pretty high. This is when it goes from sort of a cult TV show to like a big bigger phenomenon. And uh, this first episode, I don't think a great introduction for people who don't know the show that well. It also doesn't do a lot of hand-holding uh, in regards to what happened in previous... Which I'm okay with, though, obviously. I'm okay with that, and I wonder how it aired. Did they air it with the season finale first? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That like, would make they, sense. Did they set it up so that you could have watched it the week before, or they actually aired it as a two-hour block? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't remember... From from then, how they did it. How do you feel about this? Um, these sort of fake these cliffhangers, uh, which what which is what season two ends in is it's sort of a big cliffhanger. They're so hard to pull off because you right. have to have drama and tension, but you also know that they're not going to kill this guy off. Right. It ends on a pretty major, huge cliffhanger that you know Mulder is dead or something, and then this one he comes back, and they don't really explain how he gets out of there or anything, which I'm kind of okay with. I don't, I don't need to see him like tunneling out or anything. Just to understand the language of TV; right. these things get out. But how do you think this cliffhanger works? Um, I think it works well because for that exact reason, I didn't question that Mulder was going to die. I questioned how he would survive, and the show sort of skips past that and goes to the more interesting question of how is he going to recover. Right. So it actually has an impact. Even though he doesn't die, there's an entire episode of impact where we're dealing with the aftermath of what happened to him there. Yeah, and it does a good job of sort of rekindling his purpose, even though you know we don't like those Sky episodes and stuff. But when he talks to his dad, uh, I thought his dad you know, sort of gets him to go by saying, like, hey, there's more truth, there's more work for you to do, which is sort of a good reason to you know get Mulder excited about life right. again or whatever so so I think it works from that perspective a little bit I'll say this since we're talking about it David Duchovny did not like the episode he thought he said that uh, in terms of the pivotal role he thought the trilogy could have been played in regard to Mulder's character I felt like that was probably the episode I would have had as an actor gotten to do a lot more but as Chris wrote the show, it became kind of a symbolic journey rather than a real one. And it was like other people took Mulder's journey for him. I like the psychology and I like the thinking that when in the episode as a viewer, as an actor, I felt like an opportunity passed me by. If I had to do any episode over again, it would be that one. He called it the greatest missed opportunity we had. You build a character over two years and then tell the story through other people. I felt like it was removed, removed, um, and I make that more personal. Yeah, I actually agree because the thing is that you could have taken the same concept and done it as a literal journey in the in the uh, afterlife or whatever, like where he is literally walking through a landscape and meeting people and doing things and reacting and having a conversation, as opposed to just laying there while they walk up to his his bed. It's just it's, it's weird. It's just hard to have a character go through a significant emotional journey while they're in a coma, while they're asleep. That's it's always going to be difficult. Right. It just I mean, I don't know how else they it felt like Chris Carter went all in on this weird new agey stuff sometimes and um like Scully's new agey sister shows up and I understand why she's there. She's there because to die. 
she's there to die and she's been there before and i think oh, she is there to die but i think that stuff actually works because it sort of gets scully emotionally reinvested into the the x-files and they both lost their sisters right. and they've both lost their dads and you know this is all they have i thought that worked okay and maybe she's there to sort of show scully that you know, science isn't the be-all, end-all, even though it really is, but it isn't, and that, you know, alternate ways of thinking can be beneficial and actually help you, blah, blah, all that stuff. But what do you think of the sister's character? She doesn't do such crazy stuff in this episode. There's two things to note. One, I think the sister's super hot. I know. That that choker on the <laughs> yeah. neck thing. Yes, very into it. It really works. Yeah, really into it. Really into that whole like hot nineties kind of alt girl like uh, mystic thing. I'm really super into she it. She was dating Crychick at the time. Nicholas really? Lee. Yeah, in real life. They were dating. That son of a bitch. Uh <clears throat> so I'm super into her just from that POV, so I was bummed to see her die. Um but I you know what? I mean, I like it. I like. I, I agree that it's a thematic thing and it's a mirroring thing to have them both lose their sisters, whatever. I think it works. It is sort of hilarious that it happens right after Mulder's dad dies because you just get this sense of like, well, they're just going to kill everybody's family. Like, it's, yeah. this, this is the, these are the worst people to, relate, to be related to right now. Oh, sure. It's uh, like a pretty cheap way to get someone invested. But I do think that uh, she's good and I do like that she sort of has that Muldery position for scully in the episode where she's just like think different go outside of what your usual uh, parameters are uh which is what usually Mulder does for her so, right uh so I, I appreciated that i mean I, I i liked it i you know um again her dying i my big problem is that she gets shot and then she sits around dying forever <laughs> that's sort of my big dramatic problem you know what i mean like, yeah why is why is that happening it serves really no purpose although i do think at the end when Mulder comes in and the bed's empty that's a pretty great visual there's a lot of good bits about it and one of the good bits is that scully has to choose not to be there for her sister and this is all these yes. are all good bits but the thing yes. is that i just feel like it's one of those things like where they show up they shoot her in the back of the head and then that's strong enough um, they should have maybe had her hit by a car or something. I don't know. It's one of those things where that she's lingering on from a head from the headshot. I'm just like, well, she's gonna die. Yeah, this is. But I guess it does make sense that Scully wouldn't be able to go. Although they could have said that she, you know, the funeral. They could have done done the same sort of thing with that instead of having her go to the hospital, right? Could have. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh. Yeah. This is what I wrote. Scully's coma is quiet. Mulder's is so flashy. Um, oh, the dull, the dull clarity of the dead is the sentence. Exactly. Thing. I, I really like that. It's funny how these two episodes, for me, really sum up a lot about The X-Files or what makes it work, which is that if we sit here and we talk about some of this stuff and we really pick it apart, it's going to come to pieces. But within the context of the episode, as the pace goes and as the characters move forward, this stuff just works. So when I think about it later, I'm like, well, why did she have to hang on? It's just, it's just as dramatic for her to be shot in the head. Right. Uh, but at the same time, in the episode, it works. You don't think you it don't while think you watch it. it. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's how good TV works, and especially a show like this, which is based on misdirection and sort of making leaps of logic. It's a sign of really good writing. Right. That even though it doesn't actually technically hold up when you think about it, right. in the moment, you are with it. The, yeah. The actors sell it. 
the production sells it, everything Yeah, works. I thought episode two was paced a lot be- better than the first episode because the last episode we talked about the season two finale, that was paced perfectly. That was just so Moves fast. so fast. It goes. Yeah. yeah, it just goes, goes, goes. Now, this one, it's a little bit slower, and that's kind of, you know, he has to do his emotional journey. And I always like it better when the emotional journey happens in the context of an actual, you know, physical events. Here, you literally pause the physical events so that Mulder can, you know, find his passion right. again and live again. So it's not as like what well, Scully's happens in the context of actual events. Mulder sort of happens while he's. By the way, Mulder really fucking. That's his crowd, huh? When he makes that crack with the Native Americans, where he's like, <laughs> it's going to cut into my social life. He fucking crushes. You should be like, I'm just going to hang out here. They think he's amazing. He really crushes. I remember there was what I, my Emily and I went to, like, we went to uh, Indonesia last year for vacation. And uh, the whole time, I was just like kind of making jokes and nobody was laughing. And then this one waiter, I said something and he like laughed and I was like, holy shit. And then I just <laughs> stayed at that restaurant way longer, just like making this waiter crack up. But I think that's, that's good. Mulder. I was like, yeah, still got it. <laughs> um, uh, again, I thought these two episodes together, that second episode you know, really, really worked for me. And it really sets up the rest of the show so well. The Syndicate show up for the it first redefines, time. Is there one uh, terrible actor in The Syndicate who I'm fascinated by? Which guy? Uh, the guy who looks like he's a mobster. The guy with the really, yeah, the, the mobster voice. Yeah, that guy. He's real bad. He's the one real bad. He's real flat. I'm real curious who that guy is and why he's so Yeah, terrible. I think they call him like number one or something like that. That's the name for him. Uh, on the message boards, a well manicured man is the main guy who then right. shows up and becomes a major member of the syndicate. Really like that guy. I also like that cigarette smoking man to us is this total badass, but he's like kind of their the errand boy. These guys. Yeah, yeah. He's the lackey, and I thought he has some great moments in this one. Cigarette smoking man does um, his uh, his desperation about trying to get the tape. His he's, scene he's, with Skinner is so good at the end. Oh my god, where Skinner just has him pucker up and balls. kiss my ass. Yeah, it's oh. so it's so great because I was like, there's no way you can get out of this. Here's X-Files pulling a bullshit move. And then with the, the 20 telling the 20 Navajo people, that's such a great way to resolve that. Yeah, it's really strong. It's really strong. And it really ties into a lot of because, um, you know, it, it, like I said, it ties into the opening monologue. The truth lives only as long as the last person who remembers it. And I'm reading the X-Files comic books that I was, you know, the classic ones, and they really get into a lot about memory and the nature of memory and how when you think of stuff, you uh, you sort of resave it. So are Mulder's memories real and stuff? So this is like a good... Um, it, it ties into that really well because he... Albert Holstein says something about how history is written by people who want to control, but the truth is different. And here it's this is... You know, they've got the truth, not history. Well, and this entire two-parter is about what the meaning of the truth even is anyway. And that it's what is the meaning of Mulder's entire quest anyway. Which is that for Mulder, it's to get the truth. But what's the point of that? And then it has Scully talking about there's no point to having the truth if you don't have justice. Yeah. And then the same thing with if, if Mulder finds out the truth, what's the point? The idea of spreading the truth. Yes. Which is what they do with the, with the Native Americans. Uh, that's the whole point of the journey. Right. Not just Mulder finding out. Right. Because for Mulder, exactly. it's a very personal thing. Exactly. But this two-parter very much recasts that into saying, look, the fact that your sister disappeared is why you started this. But yeah. where this has to end up is not 
just you finding out what happened. It has to end up with you holding these guys accountable. Yeah, and that's why Scully says you have to do it the right way so you can release it. She has this great line at the end where she says, I've heard the truth, Mulder. Now what I want are the answers. I, that was such a great line. And it's really <laughs> like they both sort of find common ground uh, in exactly the right way at the end. There. That's such a great scene at the end. The show also redefines... There's something else that it does in... Uh, gosh, what's the episode uh, with the Men in Black... And Jose Chung's from outer space, which they do again there, which is they recontextualize nicely the idea of what the truth is here. Is it alien hybrids or is it weird Nazi experiments? And the, there is something terrible going on. But what is it? Yeah. And that I like, too, because the show had come up to a point where it was real close to just saying, well, there's UFO aliens running around and Scully knows it. And, you know. Now we're just going to be like War of the Worlds. And this episode, it recontextualizes that again, where it's like, well, there's something going on. Yeah. But what is it? And the show eventually comes down on a side. Yeah. But right now, it's pretty cool. They had that whole scene with the well-manicured man where he just tells Mulder all this stuff. And Scully's like, he's just telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. He is He is actually leading you away from the truth. Yeah. The truth is way more despicable yeah. than what he's telling you. He's giving you this fantasy version of it that's exciting and strange. But the reality is these are just sad, creepy Nazis yeah. doing horrific human experiments. I mean, I think that the the visual of seeing all those aliens and then having them have smallpox scars, that like implies so much yeah. more. Like just a very little bit of information. Now you're like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, that scene where the cyanide, the aliens or whatever they are in the car, that's pretty brutal. And clearly, you know, Nazi imagery right. there and stuff. And um Operation Paperclip, uh, I didn't know that's what it was called, but a real thing. What real they used. thing. Yeah, Nazi uh, scientists. Which is how S.H.I.E.L.D. collapsed in what? Captain America the Winter Soldier. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is how S.H.I.E.L.D. collapsed. So uh, clearly we're still like, oh, God, we shouldn't have done that. It's so funny because when, I, you know, we talked last time about secret histories and stuff like that and conspiracy histories, and Operation Paperclip is one of the great ones because it had become revealed in the 70s. But n nobody really talked about it. It wasn't like one of those things that we all like talked about. Like people knew that Werner von, von Braun had been a Nazi and he was the head of our you know space program. We got yeah. that, but the exact extent of it we didn't know. And in fact, this past week, the extent of it was revealed even larger, with new documents revealing that over a thousand Nazis worked for the CIA. Uh, in the Soviet Union or in Eastern Bloc countries or here in America doing anti-communist stuff. There's all these new documents that just got revealed this past week wow. that extended how many more war criminals uh, that we work with. And the, some of the language that is in some of these documents is talking about how this person could be a great operative despite their previous moral lapses. Oh, wow. Which means like working in death camps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this guy sort of sort of talks about that, the um, the, the, the Nazi in this episode who then yes. dies of a heart attack. He has some pretty great things where he's like, we all got caught up in the fervor, but our experiments changed the world. I mean, that's pretty... It's a tough... Obviously, we got, we got to the moon because of Nazis. Yeah, I know. So it's like fucking. It's it's very tough to really talk. I mean, but we would have gotten to the moon by now anyway. Maybe I'm we wouldn't really have beaten the Russians. That. You I don't really think so? Not, I'm not really convinced of that, because to have thrown away the research that the Germans did just because it was tainted with the way they did it. No, you have to use the research, but hiring the science them. Is the science, yeah. Yeah, but hiring them to continue their work is a little more despicable, and obviously they weren't testing on humans when. I don't think, at least, when 
We don't know. I mean, there's still yeah. stuff that's classified from Paperclip. We don't know all the all the details. And in fact, we know that they tested atomic weapons on prisoners. Yeah. Um, so you know the uh, we we know that there were black people with syphilis who were allowed yeah. to go with syphilis their entire lives just to see what happened. Uh, so when you have Nazis working for the U.S. government in yeah. in that time period, who knows what they were doing? We yeah. Don't, we don't know the whole story yet. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> That's no good. That's no good. Yeah, it's kind of it's one of those really amazing. Sometimes life gives you all the drama that you need. All that you need is the idea that the space program is one of the most inspiring things in American history. And but as soon as you go below Blood the surface, of, yeah, it's built on yeah, built on the bodies of of, of Jews. And like yeah. it's it's incredible the drama that, that automatically provides. Yeah, and like you said last time, X Files is that it's best when it takes like sort of real life stuff and just augments them a little bit, so it adds aliens or whatever. But the rest of it's pretty, you know. Uh, you could it's look at up. it's all fucked up. It's on all own. fucked up. But on yeah, that's, again, that's what I like about this episode is that it still allows the the possibility that the whatever's going on is not actually alien. That it is just these guys doing experiments, creating weird, fucked up people. Yeah. In an effort to do, we don't know what exactly. Yeah. Uh, although there are hints in this episode where the syndicate is like, I think it's time that we call our friends in. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Is that the bounty hunters that they were talking about? The alien bounty hunters? I mean, that's pretty great. Uh, that also, that guy that you don't like, the mobster guy, he says, like, too many innocent people have died and stuff. I was like, oh, that didn't really fit with the kind of stuff that they'd been doing. I think it's really interesting because the show only works if these guys are doing it for the right reasons. Yes. That's the only reason that it works. Yes. Because if they're just bad guys, there's no moral complexity or anything interesting right. going on. And that's why the paperclip stuff is interesting. Right. Because it's for the right reasons doing the wrong thing. And so these guys have to be semi-sensitive to the idea that they don't want to just kill a whole city worth of people. Right. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, that's, right. They're not, they're not just James Bond villains. They, have, they yeah. have their own weird fucked up ethics. Yeah, and whatever they are, it makes sense. It's sort of like a uh, ends justify the means kind of thing. Which you... is what Mulder's dad warned him about in the season finale of last season, which was they're going to say things to you, they're going to make sense. Yeah. And that is the truth. They're going to say this is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. And you go, oh, that makes, that makes perfect sense. We do yeah. have to kill these 10 people to save the entire world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, where do you draw that moral line? Yeah. Well, you try it at not killing people, I would say. Uh, <laughs> My favorite scene in these two in this two-parter is um, they're in the mine. Uh-huh. And uh, all of a sudden, a dozen little weird creatures yeah. run past with like that, Scully. With like that bug-crawling music. music. <laughs> <And> she <laughs> drops her flashlight. Yeah. And this has this weird moment. And it's such a great moment because it's so weird. It's so evocative. It's so well shot, so well done. Yeah. I'm not sure that they ever knew where that was going to actually lead because I don't know that the show ever actually picks that up. I mean, it comes out of nowhere. And it really doesn't go anyplace. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. Because you see, I remember that scene. That's one of the, I remember watching it for the first time and being blown away and Mulder sees the, the spaceship. And you could or be he like, sees the light. He sees the light, but, but then he goes outside. That the the shot of him looking up in the sky with light on his face—that's one of the iconic X Files right. images too. You see that a lot. Right. But 
I thought that that spaceship look or whatever we see looks really cool because you see it's just in the air, then you see it go over some trees, and just the context of the trees, it looks way crazier right. now that it's situated in something. And I thought that that was that whole sequence was really really great when they go in and they look at the files, and he's like, lots of files, and she's like, lots and lots of files, and the way that they reveal that little thing where they're looking at someone's file and they see that it's a tissue sample right. and she's like oh this is an old one and then she sees hers and it's a new one and sees samantha's and it's a new one that's like a great way to convey like what the fuck is going on they're clearly involved with scully's disappearance in some way this is the kind of thing that you could only do up until the 90s by the way because them sitting in a computer terminal and getting the same information not that exciting but them walking through the files and looking in the files and having the tissue sample that's cool yeah lots and lots of files yeah yeah i just, mean that, just having just having a, a computer database is boring no actually. no that's uh, on silicon valley that's a big thing that they always talk about is like we can't really show you guys doing what you actually do because then it's just you guys sitting at a computer <laughs> with like green letters scrolling by you know and that's one of the things people would tweet at me like for computer programmers you guys never program like yeah do you want to see that <laughs> Film yourself doing it, you fucking nerd. Um, uh, yeah, her sister says, your rigid scientific view of the world. I get why she's doing it, and she is hot, so it's okay. But I'm So hot. Um, here's something. Oh, uh, here's something uh, I was thinking a lot about. It's very hard to do hypnosis scenes because what's happening is it's a little bit of cheating. You're getting information that the character hasn't really earned. They're revelations right. that they haven't really earned. Dramatically, it's also hard to have a character going through shit with their eyes closed, right? It's true. Um, it's also, but that scene is kind of not, it, it kind of works for me in spite of all that. I hate hypnosis scenes, but that one works okay because it sort of shows her hesitance to like uh, not want to have these breakthroughs. Like she kind of runs out. Right. So I think th that works. Uh, she's afraid to find out what's going on. And But generally, hypnosis scenes, I just don't like them. Do you have a, a, a any sort of opinion on them? I'm fascinated by hypnosis because, um, especially in the world of UFOs and stuff, because all of the cases of alien abduction come from hypnosis. And so there's this idea. This 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 hypno this uh, uh, hypnotist in the show does exactly what hypnotists should never do, which is he says something like, "You've been attacked" or something like that. He he gives her a leading yeah. question, and under hypnosis, your instinct is to go, "Yes, I have." Oh right, right, right. And that's how a lot of the alien abduction stuff begins, which is that the hypnotist comes in with these leading questions, which is like, "So you were abducted from your bed? What happened that night?" Yeah, and you're like, "Well." Your, your unconscious mind begins filling in these gaps. Right. Um, so it's sort of interesting. I wish that the show kind of followed up on that more. Yeah. Um, I think it was just the writing. It was just one of those things where they just needed to get the information across. Yeah. But uh, hypnosis is one of those things that in the world of UFO research has been a real double-edged sword in that it allows people to potentially reveal information. And as an abductee, it's very sort of very common that, uh, for, for Scully to have to, you know, open up some of these memories. Uh, uh but also, there's a lot of evidence that the hypnosis that opened up memories for abduction victims is just full of shit. Yeah, and then I wonder, you know, I read a, this thing that basically said every time you access a memory, when you, you're basically rewriting it. So you can't... you're just remembering it now. You're yeah. remembering that time you remembered it. Right, exactly. So exactly. So each time you think of it is only... You're only thinking of the, you know, the last time you right. thought of it. So it's very easy to convince yourself of something that isn't real. 
And um, I've been listening to, I'm sure you've heard of this new podcast called Serial. Yep. Everyone's talking about yep. it. Have you heard it at all? I have not. I have not. It's heard. a This American Life spinoff thing about this one murder case from 99 where this girl was murdered and this guy's been in jail. This Pakistani kid who was born and raised here, but his family's Pakistani. He's been in jail for it for 15 years and they're trying to figure out if it's real or not. And they're sort of interviewing people about what happened that day 15 years ago. And it's really, really interesting how, like, some people are like, it's just a random day. I don't remember anything. And some people remember way too specific stuff. Right. And you're like, it seems like you've thought about this a lot. And so you've sort of convinced yourself that you remember all these things. It's it's really fucking great. It's I recommend it fully. I I don't know how what, what happens. I just saw this great documentary called Tales of the Grim Sleeper. Which yeah, about, uh, serial killer here in L.A. Oh, that's not what I'm. What is it? Uh, well, there's this guy. This is his name's the Grim Sleeper. That's what they called him. That's Grim a great Sleeper. one. Uh, there's this guy who um, was a, a serial killer for about 25 years in South Central. Um, the basic idea of the 25 doc, years. He may have killed up to 100 people, uh, but because they were all crackheads and prostitutes, the cops just didn't give a shit. Ugh. So they didn't even announce there was a serial killer for 22 years, um, and they caught him by accident. By the way. Uh, but straight up by accident um, through a, a random DNA thing. Um, but uh, one of the things really interesting is watching the documentary crew talk to women, especially women who maybe had run into him as prostitutes, um, and hearing their stories and realizing this is really interesting because I can't tell how much of what they're saying is recontextualized through right. other coverage of what this guy did. Right. Do they actually remember feeling like he might kill them? Or is it now, years later... And then hearing that he was caught for killing people, right? That they have recontextualized what was just exactly a fairly horrible experience, but a, a normally horrible experience, right? Right. Um, and and especially watching people who really sell it, like I knew that guy was crazy. I knew he had to be a killer. I'm like, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Did, did you really? Did you really? Yeah. I just watched an episode of X Files called Irresistible, where Donnie Faster. It's a great episode. He's a serial killer, and they're like, well, he kind of hangs out with people and people just treat him normally and he's so creepy like yeah he is creepy but when you meet a creepy person on the street you, i think you, you don't really like oh this guy's creepy i gotta get away so much of us is like just trying to be polite and not rude all the time that you kind of just uh ignore all those things and then later in this uh, in serial they talk to one of her friends one of the dead girl's friends and she sort of talks about how like yeah this guy was trouble blah 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 and then they talk to her more and she's like well, actually, I didn't realize he was trouble until after he'd already been convicted of murder. I thought he was fine in that. Right, you now re you recontextualize it yeah. in that way. Uh, it's super interesting, and and uh, yeah, I think it's a lot, of, a lot of serial killers nobody realized. Ted Bundy was just super charismatic. Nobody yeah, knew. and that's what's interesting uh, with uh, Mulder. Uh, he every time he thinks about his sister, he's not sure what happened. Like every time we've seen it happen, it's like slightly different versions of it. And the comic book that I was reading really, really gets into uh, that aspect of it. Oh, by the way, did did you do an article on the Monster of the Andes once? Monster of the. I'm not sure if I did. I know about him because he's so fascinating because he got out on good behavior, and you just can't imagine a scenario where a guy kills 300 people gets out on good behavior. 300 people has been missing since '98 and has been suspected of murder since then. Yeah, just went off into the wind and just did what he wanted to do. Killed 300 girls. I don't know if I've talked about it in this podcast. There was this Pakistani serial killer who would kill like sort of street kids, so nobody would look for him. And he'd killed like 60-some, and he went to the police, and he was like, hey, I've killed like 60-some kids. I'm going to get to 100 before I stop, so stop me now. And they're like, 
fuck you. They they got rid of him. He's like, all right. And then he got to 100. And then he came back. And he was like, uh, now it's 100. And here are the pictures of all of them. And they look. And he had Polaroids of all of them. And he would like dissolve them in acid after they died. And he had like a 16-year-old kid that was helping him. But he killed 100 kids. And then uh, his punishment was that they executed him, cut his body into 100 pieces and dissolved it in acid, which is like, that's a weird message. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to prove. Uh, at some point, he stops feeling it, you know? Uh, it's not a good punishment. But 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 uh, I don't know if I've talked about it on this, but in newspapers, they would have pictures. like They would have these boards up of all the Polaroids of the kids and parents looking to see if their kid was one of them. It's really brutal. Really brutal stuff. I guess what we're saying is if you're a serial killer, go after poor people. Well, that's honestly the best way to do it is that it, people yeah. who nobody cares about. When um, the son of the Grim Sleeper talks about how when he runs into cops now, they're like, oh, what your dad did was amazing. Because what? he was killing scumbags. Mm, fuck. And he said that he's run into cops who are just like, oh, I'm so excited to meet you. You know, Your dad really cleaned up that area. No way. Oh, my God. That's what's also crazy. In serial, they, you know, the detectives won't talk to him. But they quote some of the stuff, and they just want someone. They just want to pin it on someone, and they get they to the to point. They want to clear the case. They just want to clear the case. They have yeah. a board in the in the in, in the squad room that has you know a red a red case that's open, yeah. and they just want to fucking close it yeah. because they're going to yell that. One last thing about Grim Sleeper. There's an incredible bit where they talk about um, a piece of LAPD slang, um, NHI, uh, no humans involved, which is what the LAPD called uh, murders of prostitutes and junkies. Oh, no. They'd be like, uh, NHI. Really? Yeah. So brutal. <laughs> uh. Which fits into the larger themes of this, which is these aren't necessarily – these are people who think that they're doing the right thing. They have the right, right reasons. They are on the streets, and they see these people on the streets, and they go, these people are ruining society. Yeah. And so we have to clean it up, yeah. and it's going to help the good people. So they have their own ethical, weird, fucked up thing, yeah. just as the syndicate does. Yeah, and the syndicate, I think uh, CSM, Cigarette Smoking Man, says everything's fixed. He's like, just a few scattered obituaries, which is like such a, that's how they see people, right? But it's such a, I thought it was such an evocative phrase. It really gets to how Cigarette Smoking Man is like, it's a few scattered obituaries. It's just like ar tiny articles in the newspaper. Right, nobody yeah. will notice, yeah. Nobody, nobody's going to notice. Um Origin Place is the is the place where Mulder's in in the sky. That's what it's called. That's what it's called? Yeah, the origin place. And he goes, it wasn't a dream. And then Albert Holstein goes, yes. Which you could really <laughs> interpret it both ways. And then they don't like, <laughs> but, but be more clear. What is it? Oh, the bridge between two worlds is what Mulder calls it when he sees Scully in the dream. Um, uh, The well-manicured man, uh, when he talks to Scully, I thought that was an interesting uh, uh a conversation. I'm a member of a kind of consortium. We represent certain global interests. That was that's a great way to put it. And he, she says, uh, "Threatened enough to murder." At one point, he's, uh, she says, "Threatened something," and she goes, "Threatened enough to murder." And he goes, "Oh my, yes." Like, <laughs> <laughs> have you not been paying attention? Oh yes, that's like the least of it. When he tells he's going to kill her one of two ways, that was really good because this is a point that's where a you Godfather thing. Is it? Yeah, they're doing the Godfather. Because um, they said, Michael, somebody's going to come to you one of two ways. Yeah. They're going to come as a friend offering to take you to meet Barzini. Yeah. And that's where they're going to get you or they're going to do this. Yeah, so it's 100% a Godfather. Yeah. Reference. It's yeah. cool because you don't know at this point how much to trust Skinner. And you don't know how much she trusts Skinner. She trusts Skinner a lot. But Watching that episode right after she gets told that. And then Skinner shows up in a car to like, get in the car. And she's like, all right, let's go. And you're like, 
But she like has her gun I know, and but stuff. Still, I just wouldn't even get in the car. But I think she also wants to figure out. No, I wouldn't get it. I wouldn't do any of this. I'd be like, fuck the truth. I'm playing video <laughs> games. <laughs> you can't even do that though because it's all these social justice warriors. Yeah, ruining man. your video games. So geez, yeah, yeah, man. Anymore. Please, can video games just exist outside of any context? I think that whole <laughs> thing makes sense to me because they do. So many of these people just live through video games, and they don't want them connecting to real life, which is so. It has to be horrible for these people. I think when I see these people online saying this stuff, that gets me so angry. What makes me feel better a little bit is like, oh, their real lives are so horrible that this is all they have. I feel bad that because like I like sitting here and talking to you about like paperclip and the moral implications of this stuff and how it ties into other real world things and what it means. That's so exciting for me. Right. To sit there and talk about this and watch yeah. this show in that way and to think about how it works in the real world. Yeah. To think about my own morals and stuff like that. Yeah. To exist in a world where you have a hobby that you're so involved in and you don't want to think about it just seems so pathetic to me. It just yeah. seems so awful. I love this yeah like i would never totally say to you, i would never say to you oh can we not talk about the real paperclip because that's a real yeah. bummer like, yeah no, no, let's talk about it what does that mean more? yeah what does that mean for us as a, as a society right and i think it's so interesting with video games that that's what i love that's why they're getting better because they are involving a social context more it's not just you're going left to right and right. rescuing some b- collection it's of pixels it's not just a twitching muscle spasm thing it's a thing where i'm thinking about it and that's yeah. exciting yeah, I'm involved with it. Like, uh, I'm playing the new Lord of the Rings game, which I really love, Shadow of Mordor. Um, and there's a lot of, like, orcs enslaving humans and stuff. And then halfway through the game, you get this ability where you can start sort of mind-controlling orcs. And then they do your bidding, which I'm like, well, that's not so different from slavery. And it's a good gameplay mechanic. But if you're making, if you're signing sh- shining such a light on these orcs are bad because they're enslaving these humans, well, then what you're doing... It's not so different, and I like having those conversations. I right. think that's interesting. It's not just an army of orcs. Like, and the main character has like a little bit of a conversation about it in the game, and then they just drop it because it, it, it's not that kind of game. It really right. isn't. But like Bayonetta 2 is coming out, and Polygon gave it a 7.5 because they said it objectifies women. I haven't played the game, so I don't have an opinion on it yet. I didn't really have a problem with the first one so much because it was a very empowered character, and um, it was a heightened to a degree that made me and Emily not have issues with it. But the fact that people are now attacking Polygon because they gave it a 7.5, which is a pretty good, pretty good review. Score. I think it's pretty funny, like a 75%, like a B minus is like a Why is big it, fucking problem. Exactly. Why does it affect you if someone else doesn't enjoy the game? That shouldn't really affect your experience with it. It really bugs me. Anyway, his dad was in the syndicate. That's fun. Uh, I thought Mulder's mom looks like Mulder, so that's that's good casting. <laughs> she kind of looks like him. Um, uh, that conversation he has. This is much later when he asks the mom, like, "Did you have to choose?" That's pretty brutal. That's a pretty intense conversation. Sophie's choice kind of thing. And so when he, it also means they they, they like Mulder less because they wanted they wanted her to be transcended well but we don't know maybe they don't know what they were doing with with the daughter right we don't know what they were doing it was a horrible experiments that is true it could I go keep thinking they did it they well i'm getting like a lot of episodes mixed up in my head right now so the indication here is that they took her as a bargaining chip no so far we don't know we don't know anything okay. she was taken and you don't really know if it's aliens or if she's taken for some sort of experiments 
what I took from this episode a little bit is that all the people in the syndicate had had to make some sort of personal sacrifice where it's like, all right, this is my daughter and you can use her for your purposes. That's how I sort of took okay. it, but it's still vague. And there's like a lot of episodes of Samantha that I'm getting mixed up in my head. What it shows all over the place with Samantha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, it seems like it's going to make sense. Uh, what did you think of the fact that when they find Samantha's folder and they take the sticker off and it's Mulder and it's Fox Mulder underneath it that he was going to be the original abductee and then they they changed it at some point or that they swapped I know him that at the time I remember thinking to myself is this a cloning thing okay okay uh, which yeah. for me worked with the botanical stuff with the Nazi yeah because you actually clone plants yes in, in oh that's pretty good yeah, so that was at the time I was like is this a cloning thing oh I is didn't that... even put that together and, and the idea that Nazis what they were really interested in was creating super Aryan super soldiers which would have been a, a genetic cloning type of program yeah eugenics so for me, that was is, yeah. sort of where I came from at the time I was like is is in fact Fox and Samantha do they actually share identical DNA because ah, that's really interesting I hadn't thought of that yeah he works for the Institute of Her Hereditary Biology and Racial Hygiene which is a horrible Terrifying name for it. It's just funny because hygiene is generally a really good thing. Yeah, but racial hygiene? I mean, <laughs> cleansing is good. Ethnic cleansing? Racial and ethnic really fuck up some words. <laughs> they really ruin great stuff. Yeah, you just can't pair them with certain ideas. Yeah. Nazis really ruin hygiene, uh, cleansing, showers. Showers. <laughs> they uh, ruined a lot of stuff. Mustaches, certain mustaches. They've really out, ruined Out the, the fucking door. They really did, yeah. huh? Um, uh, that thing that they used to, you used to see in movies a lot where the, you get a phone call and then you answer it and it's just a click. Don't, you can't do that anymore because no, there's cell phones. It doesn't work because the whole tap, point is you know they're at home. And but, also we're being tapped 24-7 anyway. We've yeah. now discovered that we don't, the NSA is always we, listening. Yeah. So there's no effort required to actually get on that line. It is amazing. They're just always listening. It's weird that the stuff that you could not do with this show, not just because of sort of logistics like that, but just because like, oh, yeah, well, they're listening. Like we just sort of yeah, internalized we it. We yeah. found that out and we're all like, oh, okay, I guess so. Is it because we, we, it's so horrifying and we literally can't do anything about it? I think it's that. I think it's also this weird idea that I'm not saying anything, so I don't care. That's so There's stupid. nothing that I'm that saying that's interesting. That pisses me off. Like when they start, you should have private safe spaces. That's like very important to a society is like having a space where no one else can get in. Not that you're doing horrible stuff, but I mean that's what your life is, right? You should be able to – I don't – for me it would bug me when it would – I would email someone like, you know, hey, there's a Hellboy action figure or whatever. And then I would see Google ads for it for like Hellboy or something. So they're clearly going through and they're like, there's no human being looking at it. But that still really bugs well, me. Well, I think that's part of the reason why people are okay with it subconsciously is because right. they know there's not a guy listening. It isn't like the conversation where there's a guy on the other end of the line taking notes. There's right. a computer that's archiving it that is maybe able to understand keywords yeah. and then flag things in certain yeah. ways. But it's that automated yeah. non-human The word Allah, I'm sure, is on some kind of list. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, that, I think, is part of the subconscious reason why people are okay with it because it's a sense as an automated system that is not actually paying attention. Yeah. If there was a dude, yeah. you would be, fur everybody would be furious. Yeah, but there could be a dude. They can well, get There eventually to it. will be a dude if you say enough things that trigger. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to, I don't know if it was John Oliver. His show is amazing, by the way. Do you watch that watch show? It, yes. It's the best. Their thing on drones is amazing. Their thing on translators in Afghanistan who are being targeted by Al-Qaeda and the Taliban is amazing. It's really, really, really good. 
I don't know if it was him or the other one, but how they define, you know, there's a specific word they use. I forget what the word is, but it's an English word. Uh, uh, Where if you do like, I think it's the word imminent or something. And uh, that, that if, if a person's correspondence meets a certain criteria, they can go in and just read all their emails and check all their phone calls and stuff. But then later in the document, they redefine what that word means, and it just makes it completely vague. So that basically they could listen in on you and say, well, you had done these things. And it's like all these really vague terms, which is what the Nazis did. They redefine what words are. Well, you know, what's funny is that this all keeps tying back into the thematics of this episode, which is that no matter how much I'm against what the NSA is doing, I guarantee you that the NSA is not sitting around saying, let's be evil. Let's be evil. They're saying, man, it's a dangerous fucking world. How are we going to how are we going to keep everybody safe? Yeah. And so it's again, what are their ethics? What are their moral lines? So that's really fascinating to me. It's, it's all thematically tied in. And then you have a guy like Fox Mulder who is just like, fuck it. Yeah. Like I'm taking a hard stance on where the line Yeah. Is. I mean, when I think about it, I get really, really fucking angry and I get really worked up and then I don't do anything about it because I can't do anything about it. I'm just a man. <laughs> um, uh, I thought Scully, when she pulls the gun on Skinner, is really angry. She says, I know why you're here. I know who sent you. Whose errand boy are you? I thought that was really good, like dismissive. Sick it's a sick burn. It's a sick burn. Yeah. It was really fucking cool. Mulder should have come in with some ice. Yeah. Burn. <laughs> yeah, because that's how the episode ends, and you're pretty sure that that's Mulder out there. Yeah. Um, Skinner is so good. Next. I think it's that's a pretty cool thing because this is a show that is light on gunplay. Yes. So when they pull guns, it has an impact. It means a lot. Now we've seen shows where people just pull guns all the time. Right. Here, I remember on the message boards early on, they're like, oh, this is the first time they fired their gun. And it was like a few episodes in. You know, it's it's cool. Um, this is, uh, we've been talking about both episodes, but I have some stuff from the first episode. Certain Navajo scholars had alerted the producers to some cultural inaccuracies depicted in Anasazi. That's the season two um, finale. So Chris Carter was invited to attend a Navajo night chant and um, a peyote ritual as research for preparing the Blessing Way, which is a real... So he got real high. It's a real ritual. He did it for eight hours. He did this peyote ritual to make sure that it was right. And I bet he saw things in the sky and he was like, this is how it is. Uh, and then Mulder, you know, Duchovny talked about those things, why he doesn't love the episode. Chris Carter disagrees, saying that the... That being the um, absence center, he calls himself the absence center of that episode. Uh, Chris Carter says that was Mulder's proper role after the sweeping events that took place in the second season cliffhanger. Uh, sometimes being that character, someone who allows the other characters to say the things that need to be said about this journey, is the right way to do it because for the character to say it himself becomes for me dramatically uninteresting. But then what's dramatically interesting about a guy floating in the sky and having dead people talk See, to him? But I think what's, do you have to pull Mulder out a little bit to give Scully the room yeah. to operate and reposition herself, which is what a lot of these two episodes do. Yeah, I these think... These are really heavy Scully episodes. I think Scully's, uh, Scully works great. I think the first episode of these two, Scully stuff works great. Her sister dying, her running around trying to find out what happens to Mulder, her getting like... Her passion reignited and her getting an emotional stake in the, in the truth and justice and whatever it is. I think all of that stuff really, really works. The Mulder stuff doesn't work as well for me. No, I agree. But I also, I also get where they're coming from, though. Yeah. I mean, you need to pull Mulder out in a really big way to give Scully the room to play around. Um, and Mulder has to be out. Again, I think they could have done that better. They could have done the, the, the sky dreams, talking, yeah. sky talking stuff better. Yeah. That could have been more active. It could have been more metaphorical. Yeah. Uh, it could have been more visual. It could have been more interesting. But I get where they were coming from. Yeah. Episode two, I like pretty much beginning to end, other than the white buffalo omen. 
I don't know. Oh, I liked what a buffalo. I like that he dies. And I like that he, he doesn't make it, and he, that the mom dies. The mom dies, and the kid dies. Yeah, I like that yeah, a lot. That's yeah. pretty. That's pretty dark. It is dark, but I don't. Again, you said, like you said, the mystical elements of it don't really work for me in reality. That's okay because it's secondary. It's not coming from Mulder. Mulder's not talking about it. It comes from Albert Holstein, who's yes. bringing us the mystical POV. I'm okay with it in that way. But it's right. His mystical POV is right in this case, isn't well, it? It's a metaphorical POV at the very okay. least. So the, a lot of mystical stuff is just heavily metaphorical. Right. It's just a way of talking about how the universe works through metaphor that manifests as magic. And so that's sort of the same thing here. Like whether or not the actual white buffalo means anything, it means something metaphorically to him. To him. Right. Um, oh, I thought the line when Mulder and Scarlet after their Mexican standoff with Skinner. Is that okay to say? Mexican standoff? I d- guess. I don't know why you wouldn't be. Right? Can I say the word Mexican? Uh, is, is that Mexican okay to still say? Allowed? Is that still are we allowed to do that? Anyway, filthy Mexican standoff is happening. <laughs> oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Um, he says, let's go. There are truths out there that aren't on the tape. I really like that line. And then I should have just cut to them at a Wendy's like, this sandwich is really good. <laughs> um, the truth is, Mulder, this is the best deal you can get exa- your, feeding your entire family. Exactly. Ooh, spicy. <laughs> um, oh, what I forgot was, was Scully going through the metal detector. As soon yeah. as that happened, I was like, oh, shit. This is that storyline. That's great because she's been... Her sister's killed, but she's also been violated in a way that she doesn't really know or understand yet. That And that microchip thing, that's a big, big thing forever. Boy, very pre-9-11, too, that, that Scully, who flies all the time, would not have gone through a metal detector already. Yeah, that's right. Is that when metal detectors came out? I wasn't flying very much. There were metal detectors. I'm trying. We to didn't have that scanning machine, for sure. Yeah, scanning machine, but I remember being, I remember, I don't remember when, how security ramped up. Before 9-11, but I remember a time when you could walk a person to the gate. Yeah, I remember I'm that. I'm of that era that you could just go to the gate with somebody. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to remember when they started really instituting metal de- – because there were metal detectors uh, on 9-11 that they were able to get through anyway because nobody was paying attention. Really? Um, so, yeah. I mean – but it is funny that sort of like – uh, she's coming from a lower security environment where she would not have gone through a gazillion metal detectors. Yeah, all the, time. all the time. But it's a good visual way of showing her discovery of it. Yes. Um, which I like. And a lot of abductees have presented metallic items that are in their flesh that may or may not be able to be explained. It's sort of hard to say what a lot of that stuff is. Yeah. Um, nobody's ever presented a metallic uh, implant that um, is... A computer chip? Yeah, that really, like, you can look at and go, oh, my God, that's what this is. Yeah. You go, like, well, this is definitely a piece of metal. Yeah. I'm not sure how it got there. Yeah. You know, or you definitely have a weird scar. Yeah. Uh, But uh, this one is identifiable as a thing. Yeah, this one's really good, and we'd seen it in Dwayne Barry earlier, and now we see it in Scully, and this clearly becomes a major, major part of it. Uh, Really, really good. I really like that. Uh, Victor Klemper is the Nazi guy. Terrific Nazi name. Great Nazi name. I looked it up. There, really, there was a Victor Klemperer was his name, was that guy's name. But he, um, and I think he was, he wasn't such a bad guy though. Like he was in Germany and he was doing stuff, but he actually was, um, I think he got caught and punished by the Nazis and stuff. Like he wasn't. Well, he was too bad for the Nazis. He was too bad for the Nazis. No, he wasn't know? a bad guy. He was good. Oh, uh, there's that thing where Mulder says to Frohoiki, the the video collection thing. They're like porn movie They're buddies. Porn buddies, yeah. 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 
porn which buddies. Is, which is which is also a, a a nice pre-internet thing when like you had to trade porn with people. I remember specifically, I had a friend who uh, would get all the porn. And I went to his house once, and he had like a stack of seven. Because I remember how exciting it was. New porn. Right. New porn. Right. <laughs> this is the best. I haven't seen any of these people fuck yet. Or if I have, I've seen them fuck in different rooms. This is a new room they're fucking in. Because I, I had no internet, I would be like, I've seen her before. Um, but uh, he had like a stack of seven of them. His older brother had gotten them for him. And I was like, oh, my God, can I have one? He was like, no, I haven't seen them yet. And I was like, you have seven of them. It's going to take you months to get through it. And he wouldn't let me take one. And I got so fucking angry. <laughs> I just wanted to either see a new person fuck or an old person fuck in a new way. It was so exciting. <laughs> this fucking guy. I used to... <laughs> What I used to do was I would I would hook up my two VCRs and take movies I had that I didn't like and put scenes in between them. And then I would just have them out at my... So like um, Jurassic Park, I put uh, like porn scenes in the middle of so if my, and rewind it so if my parents started watching. I remember one time my dad wanted to see Roger yeah, Rabbit and I was like... like a real dangerous situation. Yeah, I know. That's really I know. not great. Worse. Yeah, my dad wanted to see Roger Rabbit and I was like, no, no. Let's not see Roger Rabbit. I used to just hook up two VCRs and I would just record all the nudity from movies that I rented on one tape that would just have just the nudity. Oh, okay. So I would just like... But not real porn. Um, It depended. Like you're also trying to do real porn when you get your hands on it. Tough. It was tough back then. Oh, yeah. Um, But it's funny because my one... I actually was very prepared for the internet because my, my real porn experience is my friend Joel. His dad had a box in like a, a chest in the storage unit of our apartment building and in this chest was full of porn it was, just was full, full of treasures but it was so much porn but here's the thing it wasn't just like playboy it was like german scat porn and like weird european oh, magazines porn. magazines some weird videos of like really hardcore like bizarre gangbang shit like the stuff that the internet has now made kind of weird mainstream yeah but like in 1986 it was mind-blowing yeah like watching a girl like watching like ass to mouth stuff oh in 1986 yeah. was just like that is so disgusting yeah that is beyond uh, my yeah. understanding uh and so like it was kind of weird that that was my porn experience was this this chest of like Super hard, and basically the chest like uploaded itself into the internet. It became the internet. It, it be- essentially turned into 4chan. My 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 friend's dad <laughs> had 4chan in the story. Oh my unit. god! Did, was there a tape that said Gamergate on it? <laughs> Never watched that one. That's the most fucked up. Um, yeah, the uh, guy, the number one guy, says this is a serious mistake, and an innocent woman's been shot. So it's like, like you said, they do care a little bit. Oh, this is what he says. The Nazi guy is still proud of what he did. He says, we were young men caught in a fervor, but our experiments changed the world. I really like that. that you, I like when the bad guys, like, you, you, you sort of understand it. Like They had that rationale. It's, it's much more interesting. Yeah. I like old Nazis. I, I'm glad. I'm sorry that we're moving past a point where they can be in when they're when we're finding them because yeah, like, they're all alive dead now, pretty yeah much. but like in movies i like old nazis as villains because i like you know it's, it's like marathon man i like that idea of i'm an old dude but i'm still the most evil dude around yeah and I, but shit. i'm also nazis ended up being pretty cool villains because they weren't just raving lunatics because no, there was so a ba- structure. They were based on rationality, so they could give you really good evil guy speeches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just a crazy person being like, you know, killing people right. gets me off. It's like, right. no, it's this, like, is, no, this right. is why I'm doing it. And yeah. that's, that's scary. That's super scary. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I like this one where they, uh, what the guy tells them to go to this, basically this, uh, the, the mining place. Um, I like that, like little, like sort of tiny goals and stuff. It's almost like a video game where it's like go here, then go here, then go here. It has a good forward propulsion. This episode does. There's a lot I, of crazy shit for them to find. This is what I like about um, conspiracy theories, and actually, that's what really similar to what I, what I do partially for a living now which is that you'll meet a guy like I'll do this this happens to me now when I'm writing about movies or I'm writing scoops about like Marvel movies is I'll talk to a guy who's in the know and he'll say I can't tell you everything but I can tell you this oh so you and have your Mr. Go, X you like, have your deep throat so yeah I, he like you, if you go follow up on this yeah. you'll discover the truth right and so like you do that and it's very similar to this kind of shit and how a lot of conspiracy stuff works yeah. which is like you know I cannot tell you but if you look into the year 1948 yeah. It will suddenly become clear. Oh, they just really do that? Like, just go read this issue, page 19. No, I, I 100% I had a guy on on recent Marvel stuff who did that. He was like, I can't tell you, but if I tell you this, this, and this, and then you can find out, come back to me and we'll discuss more. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And that just, is like their informants. Because you don't want to be able, you want to be able to say to the, the, the boss when they say to you. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't tell yeah, them that. Yeah, I didn't tell them. And be, uh, be honest. Yeah. This Marvel stuff seems interesting, huh? Uh, it's pretty exciting. The only thing about the whole Marvel thing that bums me out is that Edgar Wright is not directing him. Uh, he would have, he was, he would have done Ant Man and then maybe done more in the future. It would have been fucking great. You know what? But I it's think cool that he gets to do other that's stuff. That's the thing. I think that he's. I like Marvel. I like what Marvel does. Marvel is not doing stuff that is super visionary friendly. Yeah, they're doing their own thing. I love what they're doing. That's not the right place for Edgar Wright to be. Yeah, it's for like TV directors. Although James Gunn did a good job of injecting himself there into are that. Some guys that can do it, and there are guys who know how to work within the system anyway. Gunn can work within the system. The Russo brothers can work within the system. Joss Whedon knows how to work within the system. They yeah. all have these backgrounds that allow them to do that. Edgar Wright's a guy that does his own thing. He yeah. doesn't belong there. Yeah, I guess you know. so. I mean, clearly. Um, when Mulder sees those doors and he goes, I'd like to try door number one, Monty. Like, come on, guy. Just open the <laughs> fucking door. We don't need your... That's real video gamey, too, where they're like, uh, he's, he asks... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Planck's, Planck's constant, which yeah. apparently is wrong. The number they use is not... Oh. Ac- it's, it's off by one one digit. Apparently. I didn't do a lot Gosh. of research in that. I used to know what Planck's constant was. Now I don't. I used to be way smarter than I am right now. Um, I can feel like I feel maybe I can process information better, but I have way less information than I used to. Um, that's the it's the internet again. You don't have to have it at your. You don't have to always have it here. It's that's available. right. That's why nobody knows anybody's phone numbers anymore. I started doing these like br- playing these brain games, and I find myself I can remember phone numbers better now than I used to be able. But there's to. no reason to remember phone numbers. There's just almost no. There is no reason, reason to do it. No, no. Uh, the tissue sample stuff is really good. Tunnel full of secrets. You don't even know where to start. I mean, that's the thing. You can hide the truth among like. You know, it is in that room, but there's so right. much of it. Like when I see Zodiac, that movie, that's what I, I just like boxes and boxes right. of shit to go through. And that's how this um this uh, murder case, the serial thing is, too. There's just so much to go through. It's in there. But how do you even get Where, to yeah. it? Um, This episode, much higher budget, huh? There's the there's the aliens, there's the uh the spaceship or whatever it is. The aliens are shot in such a way that. Yeah, you don't probably need- were able to be economical about they were kids they were eight-year-old girls is what they used because they said boys fought too much also the chopper (laughs) that stops scully's car you know that was that was was a pretty cool cool shot yeah Yeah. like it's pretty close to the car and scully says she says um to the best of my knowledge agent Mulder is dead 
That was in the fucking commercials, I'm sure, for the new season. Oh, right. oh yeah. yeah. As best my knowledge, he's dead. Scully sees those things. That's that's pretty great. Oh, and when they meet Skinner they, at the diner, Skinner comes in and Mulder, he, uh, Skinner goes, how did you find this place? It's not on the map. And Mulder works so hard to segue into it right away. He goes, uh, you'll be surprised what's not on the map in this country and what the government will do to keep it that way. <laughs> anyway, now let's talk about, like, really gets right to it. <laughs> Really cumbersome, but really gets right to it. I also like that that bright diner feels so different from everything we've seen before. Right. It's all like a bunch of darkness, and then suddenly it's this really bright diner, like the sort of coming out of the, uh, you know, the darkness. That's, that was really dome. cool. Yeah, we're dawning yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. I've been playing this game called The Evil Within, which I told you about, which I really recommend. If you like horror games, it doesn't really make sense, but in a pretty cool way, it doesn't make sense. It's sort of a kitchen sink approach to horror, so there's like a lot of different kinds of horror in it. It is genuinely scary, um, but there's a part where, you, you know, it's like three or four levels in complete darkness, and you literally ascend the staircase after that, and you come into the light. And it feels, it's it's really, really great, really right. affecting. And video games don't, like, utilize that kind of stuff enough. Like, they, they don't it, think enough about, like, different environments and stuff. Like, the Lord of the Rings game is great. It's all set on, you know, green grass and trees. Uh, but I recommend The Evil Within. If you like old school survival horror where you're like underpowered and you have to hide a lot, you have to like hide under beds and in closets and you have like three bullets. I, I hadn't played it in a couple of days and I started it and I hit the wrong button and I shot off a bullet and I got so fucking angry. <laughs> and it's been so long where there was a video game where like I shoot off one bullet and like, fuck, I lost right. a bullet. It's yeah, I've been playing Borderlands 2. And have you played it before? I've never played it before. It's good, right? And I don't even understand why they give me um, an ammo limit. Oh, yeah. Because no. there's just, I'm just, yeah. I, it's never even an issue. That's a very just, different game. I thought it was very funny. There's like fun, it's, it's like a fun, quirky world. I, I, I enjoy it, but it's, as I'm playing, it's, 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 so, it's so much the exact opposite of that. It's gun that porn. Even, that even bothering to give me a number that I'm paying attention to feels like a waste of everything. Yeah, you're time. just getting stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. that game's gun porn. That, that one's that get crazy shit and, and kill crazy shit, you know. Um, I like that game. It reference. It's got a lot of like fun pop culture. There's a Ninja Turtles uh, mission in it. It does a good job. And one of the DLCs is like a big D and D game they're playing. Yeah. Um, so there's like huge dice from falling from the sky and stuff. It's really great. It's actually funny that game is such gun porn, such violence porn that the hardest mission I've had to play in that game so far is one where I have to only wound people. Oh, yeah. It's like th that's impossible. There's yeah. just No way. I just, <laughs> just want to shoot them in the head. Um, what makes you think there is anything such as justice is what Mulder said. Like, all right, write a poem about it, buddy. <laughs> write it in your fucking diary. Uh, uh, that thing that we talked about, Scully being like, I, w I need to see my sister and they're talking to Skinner and she's like, just figure this out because I got to go see my sister. Right. Uh, I thought that was really cool because Mulder's been so rigid and now he's got this person who's sort of softening him up and not just, you know, it's not just about the truth. It's about justice, like that kind of stuff. I, I feel like they do a good job. Yeah, of it's the meaning of the quest because there's a, right. you can you can find the Holy Grail, but what is the point unless there's a real reason? For yeah. It? Why are you undergoing all of this? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the calf dying. I wrote down even the farm has like X-Files lighting. If you notice, there's like purple light coming in. <laughs> They're like, we have to move it's into the X-Files barn. It's a spooky barn. Yeah, it's a fucking spooky ass barn. Um... And then Skinner gets his like when he gets his like badass face when he sees the guy who's at the hospital outside, and then he get he gets beat up by Crycheck, but 
He's such a badass. He's so awesome. I love Skinner so much. He really is the undersung element of the show to me. He really is. I really want to get There's him. like a TV show about Skinner that you could just do where he's yeah. just beating the shit out of dudes and being totally fucking tough all the time. Right? Yeah. It really is. A show. Yeah. He really would be great. Uh, Crycheck. Okay. So Crycheck, I really like now. I like him more and more. He's a survivor. You know, that dude's he's a, a survivor. Roach. Yeah. He's a roach because they want to, the syndicate kind of wants to kill him, but he like fucking gets away and now he has the tape. That's interesting. It's yeah. this guy we don't know whose side he's on we know he's a bad guy but now there's a world where Mulder gets the tape back because you know it suits Krychek's interests but I really like that character like he's just a guy who just you know knows how to live well dramatically that's really important too is to introduce a third side into the entire thing so yes. there is this chaos yeah that it, that it goes back and forth and that makes it much more interesting yeah um when they say there's a UFO crash that happens in 1947. Do they imply that that's what ended World War II? Or they're like, listen, we got to get together because... World War II ended two years earlier than that. 1945? Is when it ended? 1945, yeah. Is, when does the UFO crash happen? 1947 is Roswell. Is that, is that what they said? Okay. Um, so... I mean, I'm assuming that Roswell... I'm trying to remember. I feel like they're talking about Roswell. Yeah, in, in I think this. they do that's, actually... That's 1947. They that's do say Roswell, too. What do you think Roswell is? I don't know. I, we talked about it a little bit last time. I'm really fascinated by it because I think it's like so it's so tied up in bullshit that it's almost impossible to figure out yeah. what the actual truth is. Yeah. Um, and, and when they released the official explanation that it was a weather balloon, it was a, a <laughs> testing balloon with, yeah. with dummies in it, um, that just reads like such bullshit. And that's the official explanation that reads like even bigger bullshit oh, than yeah. the UFO theory bullshit. It's yes. like there's something else in there. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I found out that they were testing um, Nazi, New craft, Nazi yeah. craft because the Nazis were trying to build UFO, were trying to build flying saucers. Yeah. Um, if I found out they were testing a, a Nazi flying saucer, that would be the least surprising. Yeah. And that's actually like if we're talking about Occam's razor. Yeah. What makes the most? That's actually the one that I actually yeah. think is the, the most reasonable. I buy that. Uh, when he tells Mul uh, when Mulder yells at Scully, he's like, "Of abductions, of abductees." That's him being. That's like a good moment where he's like, "Hey, this is what happened to you. I know you don't want to face it, but this is what happened to you." And they're like, "Is there more?" And they go, "More than you'll ever know." It's like, "Yes, more seasons of X Files." You know what's nice is that we live in a world now where. Um Raping a female character is just sort of standard procedure. It's the standard traumatic thing that'll happen to a female character at some point. Yeah. This show, because it came on a time when that's not what you did, Scully has a traumatic thing that occurs that can and be And it's read. a violation. It's yeah. a violation that can be read as sexual, but is not 100% just, well, she got raped. Right. And so that's re actually refreshing in, in, in its own way. Yeah. I mean, she's still victimized. Yes. But she's still strong after it the trauma does not bring her down right um so i think it's a very refreshing take on that really standardized trauma. yeah and it's not just a simple vengeance thing it's like figuring out what's going on right um uh there's the uh the conversation with cigarette smoking man and skinner he goes ever wonder what it would be like to die in a plane crash botulism even heart attack is not uncommon for a man your age and that's how Klemper died. Yeah. So they sort of, that's a little hand. But that's so cool because he they both get to be badass at yeah. that scene. Yeah. Uh, that's a great, great it's scene. It's a really good scene. It's just these two titans yeah. tussling. For yeah, it's like Godzilla and Mothra yeah. going at it. Yeah. yeah. This is where you pucker up and kiss my ass. What a fucking <laughs> great line. 
Um, yeah, I've heard the truth more than what I want the answers. This is what Chris Carter says about the label where it's a, a mold, fox under Samantha sticker. He says, the idea is that in essence, Samantha was traded for Mulder. Um, it's character altering, he says. It's like finding out your parents are not your parents. I don't know exactly what he means by that, but I think it's sort of supposed to imbue Mulder with more like... You know, he survived so that his sister could die or whatever crazy shit happened to her. So now he's got even more of a stake in it. Um, that last scene on the bed was really, really good. I mean, the empty bed when they're both sort of discussing, uh, you know, the uh, I have the truth. Now I wanted the answers. So um, is there anything else you want to say before I move on? No, I just uh, this does feel like a really great uh Thing where the show, yes, you're going through two seasons of finding itself, really has established. Yes, this is what we are now. Yes, and it's big, um, big. We've opened it up in a really big way. Lots and lots of files, um, and we've also sort of figured out a way to make the show to keep the tension of how will the syndicate stop them without keeping it like why have they just not killed them. Right. So it's at that end with cigarette smoking men not having the tape and stuff like that, and with the uh, and then with the Native Americans, you have the thing where no longer do you have to go. Well, just kill these guys. Yeah. You have now entered into a whole different level of this chess match. And it's such a great way to have like sort of a uh, really old way of keeping information, fighting against really new forces. You know, that's really cool. Um, so again, there's not much message board stuff. All I could find, so I had to look on other boards, not the X Files board. Uh, this is a show called Space Above and Beyond great coming show. out. Do you, do you, is it a great show? I, I think it's a great. I haven't I haven't rewatched it in a long time, but at the time I loved it. It's a show that's ripe for a rediscovery and reinvention. Uh, so Space Above and Beyond was created by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, two X Files guys, and the there's a big discussion on one of the other boards about whether that's going to ruin the X Files if the best people have left. What is Space Above and Beyond? It's like a it's Star a space Trek kind show. of thing. It's yeah. basically that it's just set in the near future and aliens are, have attacked the Earth, and so our space marines are fighting them, and uh, it's super fucking cool. And uh, it's also got like a lot of social commentary. Uh, the aliens are known as Chiggers. Uh, so you can sort of okay. see where they were taking that yeah, eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's sort of the idea of like uh, battling against this alien force and sort of examining uh, uh, you know, how, how we react to that. It really was ahead of its time. If that had come out post 9-11, it would have been like a, it would have been Battlestar Galactic. These guys are great. Glenn Morgan, James it's Wong. A, it's such an interesting show. Um, I would love somebody to revive it or do something new with it. Yeah. They have really cool designs of their spaceships. How long did it last? Like nine episodes or 15 episodes. That's it? Oh, what a bummer. Um, The other one, I'll do it real quick. I know we have to run. Um, People are going, pretty cool episode. Question, why didn't we hear Scully and Mulder discuss him seeing the UFO pass over and her having the aliens run past her? They should be like, hey, you want to know what I saw kind of thing? They don't mention it at all. And they say, uh, someone else says, I agree. One more event that should have Scully finally becoming a believer and it's never mentioned. I was going to watch the episode again to make sure I didn't miss something. Maybe Scully's just in denial and didn't want Mulder to know what she had seen. I don't think we need to have these explicit conversations on the She show. thinks that she saw something and she agrees that he has seen things now. She yeah. to, she, they're just disagreeing on what it is they're seeing. Right. She thinks it's experimental aircraft, which yeah. we've seen happen in previous episodes. Yeah. And she thinks these, people, these are humans who have been experimented upon. He thinks that they're aliens. So there's no... They are both coming just from different angles. And right. that scene with Klemper, with, with the well, manicured man, is the place for that. They don't have to have that discussion. Right. They have it right there. She, she says, 
he's just telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. She believes that these are explainable by modern scientific things. He believes that they're extraterrestrials. That's it's, yeah. it's solved. These guys just yeah. need to watch the episode. <laughs> it's great. Uh, real quick, let's end on this. Entertainment Weekly did a thing. They have this uh, segment called Follow This Simple Prescription. Take five and call us in the morning, which I guess is what they were doing. They would have like five ways you can fix shows. So this is the X-Files. Uh, one, let Agent Scully expose some uh, weird phenomenon as a hoax. Mulder shouldn't be right all the time. I agree with that. Yep. Number two, two words, more freaks. I don't know. That th- Three, enforce a moratorium on shadowy government figures. Deep Throat, Cigarette Smoking Man, Cancer Man. Who's writing this stuff? C. Everett Coop? That's a weird... Uh, they're defending cigarettes, I guess. They're, they're pro. They're pro smoking. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Surgeon General who went up against smoking pretty hardcore. And then these are funny ones. This is have Scully and Mulder examine the mysterious takeover of a media giant by a race of pod people, all named Michael. So they're just like pitching an idea. I don't know what's going on. Bring it unsolved mysteries. Robert Stack to explain everything that's gone on during the show's first two seasons. It's so snarky. They're just idiots. They're assholes. And then they also have one for Lewis and Clark, which I haven't really seen the show very much. But I'll just read them. Lewis and Clark. (laughs) Did you watch the show a lot? I did. Hold off on the marriage. Bring in more super babes like Raquel Welch to compete for the attention of uh, Clark. Two, make Lois a cyber pinup by having thousands of Daily Planet readers Download her online photo. I don't know what they're going for. They're going for the fappening. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back the old... Yeah, what assholes? <laughs> Ahead of their time, assholes. It's so snarky. Bring back the old nerdy Jimmy Olsen, Justin Whalen's way to Tiger Beatty to play the, the reporter. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a Superman who rarely flies. Get in the air already. Uh, fight some real villains. Bronson Pinchot and David Leisure are no match for the Man of Steel. The Joker and the Riddler worked for... Batman. Uh, how about Superman fan Jerry Seinfeld as the evil stand-up guy? Just a really horribly written... The, the first half of that was actually a good note for that show. Yeah? And then it devolved into shitty snark. Yeah, shitty snark, which is how the X-Files one works, too. It's like sort of good notes and then shitty snark. All right, thanks so much for coming, Devin. Uh, these Thank were you. These two are really... It really sets the show off, huh? Yeah. This is now. This is now what the X-Files is going forward. Pretty great. Uh, plug some stuff. Uh, you can find me. Uh, I am uh, Devin CF on Twitter. I'm at badassdigest.com. When is this going to air? Uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, and you can also find me on uh, Wolf Pop, the new network from Earwolf. I have a podcast there called The Canon, where every single week uh, I and Amy Nicholson, the critic from The LA Weekly, will argue over whether or not a movie is good enough to be in the canon of the greatest films of all time. Sounds awesome. I hope so. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, hope you guys enjoyed that. As I said, next week, I will be talking about DPO uh, with Jack Black and Steve Asbell. Um, So, uh, yeah, hope you guys like it. And, um, oh, go to the subreddit at X-Files Files. There's a lot of great conversations. I always say the same exact thing. There's nothing more to add. They're great conversations. What else do you want me to say? Um, And that was another X-Files related thing. It's gone. Yeah, you'll hear it next week. I have, uh, I'll mention all this. Um, I'm on a TV show on HBO called Silicon Valley. Hopefully most of you know that, but if you don't, go watch it on iTunes. It's a really good show. Currently, there's a show on Adult Swim called News Readers, which airs um, Wednesday nights at midnight. 
and uh, you can go watch that. I'm in, I think, three or four of the ten episodes, the spinoff of uh, Children's Hospital. Um, and I'm very, I think the show is really, really funny. So watch that. That one's called Newsreaders. Alan Tudyk is in it. And um, it's got a really, really great cast. The creators are David Wayne and uh, Rob Corddry and stuff. Uh, the Children's Hospital crew. And um, I am also, I host a show for Comedy Central called The Meltdown with Jonah and Kamal. We aired eight episodes the first season. So buy those on Amazon or iTunes and watch them. We're waiting to find out if we're going to get another season of that. So, you know, you watching it will actually be a vote in the right direction. Um, all right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye-bye. Do you like science? Do you like jerks? If you answered yes or no, or declined to state because you Illuminati, man. Then you should check out the Science Jerks podcast on the Boardwalk Audio Network. Each episode, we talk about science news and play games with our comedian friends. The Science Jerks. It's science merged with comedy. Because Let's do some science. <laughs>